Blog Talk Radio. Aisha Seku. He's not on yet, Roy. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. She hasn't called yet. So would you just tell the audience what you're going to be talking about tonight? I'm going to hang up. No, let me let me let me try to call her. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Before we get started, just a public service announcement that today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to their audiobooks whenever and whenever you want and get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at www.audiobooksblackhistory.com. That's www.audiobooksblackhistory.com. Snapshot of what actually has been going on in prison in the day. Okay. Hello? Everybody's on the line. Hi. Peace and blessings. How are you? Excellent. So for those who may not have been following what's been going on, can you talk about what happened and how it's gotten sort of out of hand as it stands today in Ferguson, Missouri, with Michael Brown? Uh, Well, you mean with the whole Michael Brown situation, correct? Correct. Okay, well... (sighs) You know, the, the the thing is, is that um, we, we've been experiencing across the country a rash of abusive policing. And I think in Missouri, what we're seeing are people who are very frustrated, who are very angry, and some who uh, have acted out in ways that, you know, we may not necessarily support, but in some ways can understand. Um, there's been a lot of looting, uh, and I understand, uh, and I don't have this confirmed uh, totally, but that there was another shooting in Missouri, uh, possibly as a result of looting or acting out uh, in Missouri last night. And mm-hmm. so uh, the family of Michael Brown is asking uh, for calm, not that people should not have uh, protests, but that they should protest in ways that are not harmful to each other, that does not bring harm 
to the crowd of group protesting and to not loot. So why is that so? So that's that's what they're asking for. And uh, you know, of course, uh, we're in support of uh, positive uh, protest. So take us back to what happened. Uh, how how did Michael Brown die? What, take us back to what actually happened that night. Okay, and this is again my understanding is that him and another young man were uh, walking down the street uh, in the middle of the street, like kids often do if there's no traffic, and especially in places that are a little more suburban than what we have in New York. They walk in the middle of the street, and they're laughing and talking and that kind of thing. And from my understanding, the police ask them something like, where are you going or what have you, and, and they uh, come over to the car and they said, why? And the police said, well, because I want to talk to you or whatever. And it, it just went back and forth a little bit, from my understanding, and that the police tried to pull Michael Brown into the car, and he pulled away. And from my understanding that uh, the officer then went for his weapon, and uh, in doing so, the kids really started to run. Uh, they split up. Um, not far from each other, one hid behind a car. And at that point, uh, Michael Brown was basically, from my understanding, pleading for his life, had knelt down. He had uh, already had one bullet uh, to his leg or thigh uh, and then put his hands up and asked that the officer not uh, shoot, and the officer uh, commenced to shooting and entered nine more bullets into his body. And I understand uh, there were bullets to the head. The witness, which was the friend of Michael Brown, who's all over YouTube on every news channel uh, sharing what he saw as an eyewitness. And there were people who actually uh, videotaped uh, most of what happened. Mm -hmm. So that, that was what happened on the street. And we know since then there's been a rash of different stories, uh, some documented, some undocumented, of what uh, took place, and uh, you know, they're now saying that you know he was in the store, he was stealing cigars, which was really the first account that I had heard is that he had stole a cigar and was uh, running down the street. But it's clear uh, it was stated by the police department and the um, the captain or whomever in charge had said that the uh, the officer who did the shooting had no knowledge of the cigars being stolen. So it says that he acted not out of that, not out of any danger, because he didn't know anything about that. That officer uh, who did the shooting said he shot because they were in a dangerous situation in the middle of the street. Right. Now, in in response to this, a lot of people have been protesting, many people, um, I think Reverend Al Sharpton was out there in Missouri to, to protest what happened. Um, as I love talking to you because you're always very results-oriented, solutions-oriented. Um, these cases seem to happen very often, constantly, one after another. Um, what do you think is the solution for how we can begin to address the police brutality in our communities? Well, you know, I think that there's always... Uh, more than one side to this. There's the police side, there's the community side, and then there's the side that's right and ju- well, actually three, the side that's right and just. And, and I think that often 
times the police department is not always that great about uh, looking at the psychological um, background and makeup of some of the people who join the force. And a lot of times, you know, with a lot of testing and stuff like that, it's not always the easiest thing, but I think that uh, psychological testing needs to be done on a regular basis. Uh, they need to look at affiliation. And my, I'm just adding my own personal opinion that there may be uh, some affiliations that people need to check sometimes, uh, like members of the Ku Klux Klan, you know, in places like Missouri, where we know the Ku Klux Klan is prominent. Um, so and when we look at solutions, I think, again, uh, strong uh, testing in a, in a psychological kind of way. And I think that retraining uh, and, in, you know, where they give the situations and what would you do and how would you respond and why that those things need uh, to happen, not just at the, at, at the initial phase of becoming an officer, but kind of ongoing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of community policing? Do you think that that has any effect? The community? Community policing. Oh, community. Oh, when you have uh, community policing, you're more familiar with who is in your neighborhood, who's in your surroundings. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to an officer last night. I'm over here at Harlem Week tonight for the second night. But last night, uh, an officer and I had a conversation about community policing. And I was able to name all of the officers uh, that I knew uh, and that my daughter knew in, like, the 80s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew the officers, officers by name. We, you know, my daughter would have officers that would say, well, you know, it's getting dark. It's time for you to go home. And they called my daughter by name. So she knew them by name. They knew her by name. And, you know, you could reach out to the precinct to help, to talk to young men who may be in trouble, you know, on the verge of getting in trouble. You know, it was just that there was a different kind of availability uh, with the police department. And what happened is when they took um, uh, community policing out of the equation of policing, that they took away the officer uh, having to know who's in the community, who the indigenous leaders are, uh, who are the on the grounds people like the grandmas and aunties in the community. And so there's no real communication that happens. Uh, and I'm talking about real effective communication. I'm not talking about everybody has to go to a police meeting to know who the cops are. That the, the officers used to be in the community and everybody knew them and they knew everyone. And now the way that you get to know them is you have to go into their precinct council meeting with a bunch of uniformed officers that young people don't even trust. So I think a number of things have to happen. One, we have to bring back community policing. Two, officers have to create uh, in the community uh, more of uh, a feel of, um, of, of community engagement. You know, talk to young people in the community. Get to know who they are. You know, just because a kid has his pants sagging and hat backwards, he could be the law student at Columbia University. So there's, you know, there's a lot of profiling that still goes on and sizing up, but it wouldn't happen that way if they had knowledge of who was in the community. 
But and for those that and for those that don't know, community policing is when police officers are assigned to a geographic area in a community uh, to to govern that particular precinct or district. Um, Aisha, what what is your thoughts on residency requirements for police officers? Um, I, you know, my feel has always been because what I notice, and I speak to uh, almost every graduating class with uh, NYPD down at either One Police Plaza over at Riverside and some of the different precincts, uh, my feeling is is that the majority of these officers don't come from this community. And I, I feel like if they did, there would be a different feel and understanding. Because when you come from a neighborhood, you know the culture. You know the people. You know who the leaders are, uh, elected and indigenous. You know, those who are just kind of the go-to people in the community. You know the young people who are aspiring, and you know the young people who are struggling. So it gives a different feel when you come from the neighborhood, as opposed to when you walk into a place, you know nothing about the culture, you know nothing about the leadership, and you know nothing about the young people and maybe their aspirations, their triumphs, and their difficulties. And so it's easy to run into a kid who may be somewhat autistic and functional and think that he's acting out when he's autistic and everybody in the neighborhood takes care of him and knows that. You know what I mean? I just read something where something happened with a, 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 a young person that was autistic and the cops beat him up. Somebody sent it to me on Facebook. And um, so, you know, and that happened because the officer had no knowledge of that young person and, and, and no knowledge that that young person was autistic. So I just think that, you know, we have to look for better ways uh, to have engagement in our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I hope I answered your question. There's so many distractions out here. No, I'm just, so no, many no. people answer the question as you always do, Aisha. Thank you. Yeah. So what is your thought on the curfew uh, that was imposed in Ferguson? You know, um, Sometimes some things have to happen in order for some things to slow down. You understand? So people are very angry. Young people are angry. They're acting out. Not all of the behavior is the greatest behavior. Uh, the, some of the, the behavior that became negative and ugly, uh, the looting, um, was making it so that other people who were not doing those things were getting hurt, and it was just becoming one big mess and uh, not really producing any good results. So a few may have been necessary, and I don't know everything, so I almost hate to say, you know, but I do know that when there's violence and threats of more violence, that sometimes people being home and inside is safer than having people outside and we possibly have more loss of life, you know? Uh, but it looks like things are calming down in Missouri somewhat. Yes, yeah, good to hear. Are you involved in any protests or actions uh, about that case? Well, I'll tell you, on June 23rd, and you know that I am the chair of the Anti-Violence Committee with the National Action Network. It's a newly formed committee, so we are uh, just launching. But uh, as part of that, and as part of the overall nas- a member, as a member of the National Action Network, there will be a march. That march will be going over the Verrazano. We will not be marching on foot over the Verrazano for safety reasons, but we will be caravanning. And there will be buses leaving from the National Action Network, 1199, 
and uh, UFT, and as well as in Jersey. But for more information on that, uh, we will not go back March. And they can call 877-NANHOJ1 is the number here. I'm reading it off of a flyer that I have. 877-NANHOJ1. And they can get more right. information about buses and so forth. Love it. Before we leave, I want to quickly give you a plug to talk about what you do at Street Corner Resources Live. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we do a radio show called Street Corner Resources Live, which is named after our organization, Street Corner Resources. Uh, at Street Corner Resources Live, we invite the community in to talk about a whole host of issues similar to what we're talking about right now. Uh, and we focus on bringing young people in to act as interns to promote what they're doing, their successes, their difficulties and triumphs. And um, we also talk with community members, some who are a lot more seasoned than I am, and uh, some who are becoming uh, active voices in our community. And we just try to share as much information on that show as possible. And our not-for-profit does some similar work, but we focus on eliminating violence and ways to bring peace in our community, doing workshops uh, in public schools around the city. We're anchored in three schools, PS92, 424 Middle School in the Bronx, and Harlem Renaissance High School in Harlem, where we do workshops and we support the overall well-being of the school. One point I want to I get, uh, demilitarizing of the police. What do you think of that? And just, I'm thinking that that means taking the military aspect of the police department away. That's probably not going to happen. The police department is built on the military principle. And so because it is, and anybody that knows anything about the New York Police Department in particular, it was founded to keep the slaves in order down in the what's now the Wall Street area. So, I mean, it was founded yeah. on some principles that were not necessarily just and fair. And so and then the, the imposing of the whole military spirit on the community just doesn't seem to gel, uh, especially in light of uh, some of the abusive policing tactics uh, that have uh, become even more and more pronounced. Mm -hmm. Do you think that every time a case like this happens with Michael Brown or, uh, you know, Sean Bell or other cases that police officers are deterred from doing these kind of actions in the future? No, I, I don't think so. I think uh, what I'm seeing on Facebook and on Twitter is that uh, people are actually posting more and more videos. I've gotten more videos since Michael Brown and since Eric Garner of abusive policing practices uh, than, than before. And so I think that uh, while, while people will think that this should deter, I think that sometimes the anger and, and uh, resentment that it causes, uh, us, us against them kind of thinking, that some officers, uh, because of poor training and poor thinking, tend to act out of, out of that behavior. Just quickly, talk about what happened with Eric Garner, for those who may not be familiar. You're talking to me, Roy? Yeah. I didn't hear, hear the question. I'm sorry. So I said, for those who may not be familiar with Eric Garner, talk about what happened there. 
Oh, well, with, with Eric Garner, my understanding is that he had broken up a fight, but the police had not seen that, and uh, that there was uh, some standing kind of relationship, uh, prior relationship with Eric and the same police officer. And I don't want to misspeak, but my understanding is, is that uh, I'll go straight to the chokehold and what I saw on the video. What I saw on the video was a man that was not resisting, that kind of put his hands up and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what's going on? And the officer put his arm around his neck and choked him and pulled him down. Now, a man that big would not be able to be pulled down that easily to me. He's a big man. They pulled him down pretty easily, got him on the ground, and basically choked him uh, until he couldn't breathe anymore. And he had said 11 times that he could not breathe. Right. I don't want to cut you off, but we have a caller in, and so I want to get the caller in to ask the question. I'm going to move because folks out here still in Harlem Week, and I promise some folks out there. Have a few chicken wings with him. <laughs> have uh-huh. a wonderful uh-huh. evening. Let's speak, you know, truth to power. And thank you for doing the wonderful show that you're doing and keeping people informed about what's happening on the ground in our community. Thank so, you so I- much. I used to say Cruz Free Corner Resources Live. Check out her radio show at whcr.com. Thank you very much. Peace. All right. Carla, right. come on in, and you and I can spar for a couple of seconds, and I'll see if I can answer your question. Is the caller still there? Yes, he is. Yule, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm on the line. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. I can. Uh, you have a we question? Have, we can hear some background noise, though. Okay. Well, unfortunately, um, I thought I had you guys on mute. I, I'm in my car, and I won't be in my house for about another 15 minutes. I'm coming from uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. But I wanted to be on the call to listen to what you guys had to say. Oh, so you didn't have a question? No, no, not at all. I, I, I didn't mean to push buttons for one, no. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, actually, um, we were just having a conversation that the host had, uh, the guest had to leave. But we were just talking about the case with Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, if I can ask you to give me your thoughts on that briefly, if you care to share. Um, my my only thoughts about that in these types of communities is that the power of the vote is much more that this is a wake-up call, and I think in these communities, some of them, more than 65% of the residents are people of color, and they just need to vote some of these people out of office. Mm-hmm. So you think that the best way to combat these types of police brutality cases is to elect better people in office who will probably impact policy? Well, I, I, I mean, definitely, I think that's the name of the game. And, you know, most of the people are relying on census tract data to basically affect policy, which is how they write and demarcate the voting blocks. And I think a lot more people need to be educated to the voting process and really understand the power of the vote. Mm-hmm. What is the political situation where you are in West Palm Beach, Florida? No, I, I live in Miami, Florida. I'm actually oh, just I'm, on the road traveling. Yeah. Uh, um, in Miami. Are you are you comfortable with the political situation that exists in Miami? Well, um, 
I'm originally from Boston, um, but I live in Miami, and I, for me, I speak fluent Spanish. Um, I'm prepared for the changing demographics, so it doesn't really impact me like it might someone who cannot, you know, speak the language or try to, you know, integrate or socialize with the population that lives pretty much in Miami. Okay. All right, fair enough. I just wanted to get your sense of, of, of what you thought about the political situation in Miami and to get your thoughts on Michael Brown. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks. Uh, so that's his recap. So we had the caller in talking about uh, he feels that the best way to combat some of these injustices, including police brutality, uh, is to have the political paradigm shifting uh, in communities because, as he stated, uh, that when you have people who are in office who believe in progressive policy and progressive policing, then that is when you actually change the political system. We had Aisha Sekou from Street Corner Resources Live. Uh, she is always a very dynamic sister talking about how we can uh, do better within our communities um, and pretty much told us what was going on in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, which is a bastion of police brutality that's been happening out there uh, over the death of this one um, young individual. Now, we've gotten several reports since uh, the death of, of Michael Brown. We have the parents of Michael Brown who just announced that they're going to be hosting a rally to remember um, their son uh, and his death. That is going to be happening on Sunday afternoon. Uh, in Missouri, Florida, we have news that the video that was released is being uh, ostracized by the governor of the museum. Governor uh, Nixon uh, was upset about the release of that uh, video being released in terms of the police protocol not being followed. Uh, there's so many different reports that, that's going out uh, out there. Sharpton, uh, Reverend Alan Sharpton, uh, was giving uh, a speech at the Ferguson Memorial for Michael Brown. As you know, Reverend Al Sharpton has always been very outspoken about what's going on there. Meanwhile, at this time uh, of the reporting of this interview, Ferguson, Missouri, still has the curfew. Um, they, are, they imposed the curfew that stated that from midnight to 5 a.m., a curfew would be in effect, uh, in effect um, amidst all of the chaos that was going on there. Um, because of Michael Brown, who was shot at 18 years old. He was killed on August 9th uh, by a police officer, Darren Wilson. Now, if you remember, that officer's name was just released late this week. Uh, they initially did not want to release the name of the police officer, citing security reasons and death threats that he was um, being given. Um, Missouri State Highway Patrol Captain Ronald Jackson took over uh, the response. The State Highway Patrol had to get in uh, to Ferguson, Missouri, and took away uh, the local police's authority to govern in this particular matter. So these cases, in this case in particular, has, has really, um, you know, caused an uproar of sorts uh, with people and community activists, you know, going out in droves to try and demand justice. Um, then we also have news that Eric Holder, the state, uh, United States Attorney General's office, issued a second autopsy of Michael Brown. After he said he wanted another one, um, and he said in a quote, due to the extraordinary circumstances involved in this case and at the request of the Brown family, 
um, he's instructed the Justice Department to arrange an additional autopsy to be performed by a medical examiner. Uh, the independent examination will take place as soon as possible, even after it is complete. The Justice Department still plans to take a state-performed autopsy into account in the course of their investigation. So the United States Attorney General's Office has already convened their own investigation uh, about what happened within the death of Michael Brown. So this is certainly not something that is going away. The eyes of the country are on this case to make sure that justice is served. Meanwhile, you still have residents um, who are protesting and rallying. Meanwhile, the family has consistently called for uh, the community at large to be peaceful in the protest. You heard Ayesha Sekou talking about the need for having peaceful dialogue. We love when people get out there and share their opinions about these cases, but as always, we want you to be very peaceful and mindful that it's important that you don't get in a situation where you get hurt yourselves. And at um, just the freedom, we always talk about how we can empower, but most importantly, how we can educate and protect you. So we try to give you resources and valuable opportunities to get your message heard out there. So um, we're going to call it a day. Um, We've kind of wrapped up the case for you, um, and we had our guest speakers come on and give you their perspective. So for more information, you can go to getsofreedom.com. We will, of course, be sharing links and provide you with information so that you can get more knowledge as this case develops. Just a service announcement, this podcast is being sponsored by audible.com a leader in spoken word entertainment. Uh, You can get a 30-day free trial of uh, audible.com when you subscribe at audiobooksblackhistory.com. That's audiobooksblackhistory.com. Get a free 30-day free trial at audible.com. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Keep the faith and stay safe.